Hey guys, uh, I hope you're all feeling happy and excited because fall is just around the corner and hopefully the weather will start cooling off. Um, yes, it's true. I am basic enough that fall is my favorite season. Uh, in my defense though, I think it's because I've always lived somewhere with extremely hot summers. So by the time fall rolls around, it's like a welcome respite from the oppressive heat. Uh, well, anyway, that's my excuse. I won't, however, say anything about the dreaded triggering pumpkin spice because, look, I'm all about being divisive, but that particular argument is going too far, even for me. So, instead, I will tell you what we're going to talk about today. Um, we are going to talk about anxiety and how to deal with it, then I'll go into a little more detail about why I have been tempted to leave the Adventist church at times. Um, I know I talked a little bit about it in episode one, but we're going to dive deeper. And then I want to wrap it all up um, with why I didn't end up leaving. Okay, three, two, one, go. So this is not necessarily a religion topic per se, but for me, grappling with how I relate to religion has always been a huge part of my experience um, and connected with anxiety with anxiety, as I will tell you, uh, and being compelled to work through my religion is also a huge part of why I'm doing this podcast, as well as reckoning with my anxiety is partially why I'm here, so it's all related in a way, it's all connected, everything is connected. Um, but first of all, did you guys see that viral tweet, the one, it was one of those little text emoji thingies with the little guy holding up a sign and inside the sign it said stop forcing students to present in front of the class and give them a choice not to and then it caused everyone to divide into the people with anxiety who said stop making us present we have anxiety we should have an excuse and then everybody else who was like shut up you whiny little weenie babies and just do the dang presentation everybody has to um I actually was planning to talk about this before I saw that, and then I saw it and I was like, okay, I'm definitely talking about it now. Because uh, I think a lot of people in our generation deal with anxiety in some form or another, and hopefully this is relatable to you. I've always been a little bit creative with the desire to put my ideas and things that I've written or created out into the world, but while I'm compelled to do it, I'm also terror-stricken by it at the same time, and I'm wondering if you can relate to this. Maybe what induces your anxiety is something different, but for me, when I create something and then it has to be seen by other people, I freak out. And I can't tell you how much stuff I've written in my life that I just never had the guts to let anyone else see. Um, I'm not sure how I can both be compelled to share things and equally terrified by it, but that is my reality. Uh, even with this Adventist millennial thing, I periodically get, like, nauseous and lose sleep thinking about making things and then having other people see them. Um, and even doing this podcast, I sometimes have trouble just getting the words out, uh, which is kind of lame, but it is what it is. The weird thing is, though, um, it comes and goes, my anxiety, uh, and it doesn't necessarily get me feeling down or depressed or spiraling or anything like that. Uh, if you've ever taken one of those personality tests, uh, I'm always interested in what people's personality traits and temperaments are and things. But anyway, according to the big five personality tests, I'm pretty low in neuroticism, so I tend to be very optimistic and positive by default. 
Um, so the anxiety doesn't usually depress me for very long and, like, create something worse. It just makes me feel very, well, anxious. Um, and I don't know if you guys ever get this way or what you do to deal with it. I feel like a lot of people experience it on some level, um, although our anxiety is caused by different things, I suppose. For a lot of people, I think it's social situations and... Is that basic too? Everybody has social anxiety. It is one of the things that gives me anxiety. Um, I remember when I was in college, I spent a couple of semesters doing literature evangelism, selling books door to door, and let me tell you, the pressure of not only talking to strangers, but then also being compelling enough for them to buy a book from me, um, just about made me puke on a regular basis. I hated it. Um, and I've known this anxiety struggle since I was a kid. When I was little, I'm not joking, my anxiety was induced by concepts that I couldn't get my mind around. Um, I would lay awake at night. Uh, I had to have been like eight or ten, but I would lose sleep thinking about like why I was me. Like how come the person inside my head was in my head and not someone else's? How could we all be different people? And what did that mean that my consciousness was in this body, in this place, in this time, um, instead of some other variation of, I guess, the multiverse? Uh, like, what kind of eight-year-old sits around contemplating this? I don't know. But it kept me up at night. I also cried a lot at the prospect of dying before I had a chance to understand these things. You can ask my mom. Um, I would go to her room and wake her up, freaked the heck out, um, and my mom would be like, what's wrong? And of course, my child brain could not articulate what I was feeling, so I would just be like, I don't feel good. And my mom would be like, you don't feel good, how? And I would say, I don't know, I just don't feel good, because I didn't know how to explain it. And she'd be like, well, physically, you don't feel good. And so I would say, I don't know, maybe not, maybe, I'm not sure. And so, of course, eventually she would just give up and tell me to go back to sleep. But looking back now, now that I'm a freaking adult, and I know exactly what anxiety looks like, um, in retrospect, that's what it was. I was anxious about the meaning of life, why I existed, um, what it would be like to not exist anymore, all the types of things that single-digit aged children stay awake at night contemplating. Please tell me someone else can relate to this in some way or another in that. I'm not alone. Um, anyway, so maybe the exact thing that makes you anxious is not those things that have made me anxious, but for those of us who, for whatever reason, share this experience to some extent, um, what's the solution? I think medication helps for a lot of people, although I have not personally tried that myself, but I have found a few things that help me to get through it. Obviously, I haven't, it doesn't stop happening, like I do still get anxious, but I think I deal with it pretty well at this point in my life. Um, so first of all, I'll just wallow a little bit, like, commiserate with myself, let it be for a minute, um, but then after that I'll force my rational brain to remind my irrational brain that anxiety is an emotion that will pass. Um, guys, if you're dealing with this, remember, it will pass. It seems like a really dark tunnel that never ends, but the tunnel ends. Um, then after I remind myself of that, even if I don't feel it yet, I try to refocus on something else. I watch something funny, I read a book, I go to sleep if I can, um, I pray. Prayer is super invaluable for 
for helping. And of course, my knee-jerk reaction is to run away from the thing that's making me anxious. So if it's a social situation, I just bail out. Um, if it's putting my work in front of people, I just yank it. <laughs> but convincing myself not to do that and to weather the storm actually helps too. Because once that feeling does pass, it can break the feedback loop that tells me cutting off anxiety thing equals no more anxiety. Because um, I'm forced, if I don't let myself do that, to see that leave anxiety thing alone also, eventually, will get me to no more anxiety. So this is what I do. It's not a perfect system, like like I said, because I still do get anxious about stuff and <laughs> go through that agony, but um, it's how I have found to kind of get me through it, and it works for me. Um, and I just want to say, too, that if you're someone that is plagued with anxiety, like I said, it will pass. But also, you're not the only one. I feel you. I've been there. I try generally to be upbeat and positive in front of other people, partly because that is my natural tendency, but also because I don't want to bring other people down. But know that I've been there, and I get it. Okay, so now let's talk about the various and sundry reasons why I have been tempted at times to leave the Adventist church. Um, okay, so one, uh, everything is too shallow. Doctrine is very complicated, but rarely philosophically deep or internally consistent. So there are very few preachers that have something to say that is compelling to me, that isn't contradictory to itself in some way or just simply uninteresting. Um, this is a struggle that I have with myself even, going back to the whole anxiety thing. Because so much of my existence happens in my head, I get to conclusions following a train of thought that seems like everyone else should also have gotten to that. <laughs> and so to articulate it out loud sometimes seems very redundant and that makes me hesitant to express ideas sometimes because if they seem patently obvious or redundant it's like what's the point and it also unfortunately makes me a little bit impatient with other people <laughs> who can't seem to say anything new or interesting um also like i said in so 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 many cases presented theology is simply not consistent across both experience and theory um, there's a disconnect between w what we intuit from living in the world and what we theorize about the world. Um, and within religion, that's just chalked up to, well, some things we just can't understand because God is so beyond us, but we just have to accept that that's true, even if it doesn't make sense. Um, and I reject that. So that's number one. Number two, it's really hard to find community. Um, it just is. I talked about this in the last episode, but it's really hard to find people you can feel connected with and build a friendship, a real friendship with. A lot of people in the church are nice, but maybe not engaged, or even simply they're not nice. Um, which brings me to number three. Uh, I often feel judged. Like, no, we're not legalistic. No, we don't judge people. We accept you as Jesus accepts you. But yes, we kind of do judge you just a wee little bit. Um, that's the attitude that I've felt many times in my life. Because even though we can scream, you are not saved by works. Um, at the same time, your works kind of say everything we need to know about you. Uh, the things you say, the opinions you hold, the things you do, the people you hang out with. They are all under scrutiny, and if you don't comply with the norm, you're made to feel shameful. It's the old, I don't 
judge them because it's wrong. I just feel really sad for them because it's wrong. Which, let's be honest, that's tantamount to judgment. Um, one of the things that has always been a sore spot for me is the restriction of humor and being judged or reprimanded for wanting to laugh at everything. Which is often seen as sacrilegious or irreverent, but I would say maybe having a stick up your butt is also irreverent. So there. Number four, the hierarchy of behavior. So no sin is greater than any other, but actually if you do something really egregious, well then good luck to you. Um, it's kind of related to the last point in that the way you act is more often important than you as a person. Um, and at least it feels this way to me. Uh, so I care about you, you're my friend, but if you do something that's not approved, it affects my ability to associate with you because you might contaminate me. Especially if you reject that what you've done is something you should feel bad about, um, then it's doubly bad. Okay, so you eat out on Sabbath, you wear earrings, maybe you make crass jokes. I really like you, um, you're my friend, but not friend enough for me to associate with you anymore because what you do with your free will is so dangerous to me that I can't care about you anymore. Um, I can just be sad for you and pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you. Uh, that's the attitude that I have felt a lot of times and it's frankly BS. Okay, number five superiority and exclusivity to outsiders. So if you, the association attitude that I just described exists towards non-compliant Adventists, you better believe that exists to non-Adventists because we, we are the remnant people. We have the truth. Therefore, if you reject that truth, you are basically subhuman. Um, you have made a grave error, especially if you've heard the truth, but you didn't accept it. Um, we, we are superior to you. We will not associate with you. And you can just get your just desserts for not accepting the Sabbath. Uh, it's the same attitude of like this self-righteousness that's presented as pity that this poor person hasn't come to the light that I have that allows me to be 100% right all the time. So number six is unwillingness to be open or to try new things because the devil is lurking around every corner waiting to pounce on you. So we may have free will, but we're too stupid and too weak to actually be able to use that free will. So we simply must rigidly follow what tradition has been told to us um, or what quote unquote the law says. We can't try to think outside the box because we might accidentally get deceived and go to hell. Not eternal hell, of course, but still, like, burny, fiery, vengeful hell, but short. <laughs> and this attitude is stupid and terrible. It's what makes our music from the 1800s and our ability to relate to people who aren't us zero. It's what makes our media outlets lame. And it's stifling to those of us who are creatives because we're usually very high in openness to experience and have an aversion to stagnation and doing it because that's the way it's always been done. Number seven, the inability to really change hearts and bring joy, which ends up in people backsliding. So basically, um, in episode one, I talked about my very conservative phase. And in that culture, the proclamation is, we're not legalistic. But you just have to follow the rules. Um, I say if it walks like legalism and talks like a legalism, well then, it must just be loving Jesus so much that you comply. Uh, yeah. 
That's why so many people burn out and end up swinging way away, reverting back to the life they had before they converted because they tried to conform to imposed law, but were not built to be slaves. It doesn't bring the freedom that Paul talks about, and it's not sustainable. And people leave. I can't tell you how many people leave. It's sad, and I think it breaks God's heart that we, who profess to represent him in the world, bring such crooked pictures of who he is, and it makes people reject what they think is God. Number eight are the people who I saw on the track to church leadership. Um, I took one look around at the religion majors when I was in college and I noped out of that pretty quickly. Um, if you didn't know, I started out as a religion major because one, Southwestern Adventist University didn't have a philosophy department, and two, historically speaking, philosophy and religion have been very close and overlapping at times, but I woke up very quickly. There wasn't a lot of thinking happening in that department when I was there. Some of the professors were okay, but not incredible. Um, and my peers, who were attracted to theology, frankly made me shudder for the future congregations they would be leading. I thought, like, these are the people that are going to be leading the church next because they're a bunch of, like, well, I won't say, I won't label them, but let's just say today people skills will get you farther in theology than thinking skills. So now that we're all feeling sufficiently depressed and dismal about the church, um, <laughs> look, those things are real, um, and they graded on me and made me resentful, uh, and still can at times when I see instances of them, but there is a reason that I didn't leave, um, more than one reason, actually, so let's get into those. One, there is a logically consistent idea about God. Despite Christianity's collective unwillingness to see it, there's a picture of God that doesn't make him out to be a tyrant, that doesn't leave a thinking person with cognitive dissonance, and that actually can heal you from the broken person that you are and give you joy here and now without the crippling guilt and intellectual dysphoria of mainline doctrine. And yes, I realize that this is widely considered as heresy and that many, many people, the people I just got done describing, um, will close their ears to it. Because it's too difficult to shift the entire paradigm of how you've always perceived God. It's hard, I realize that. It's the red pill and it's the harder path. And I don't hold it against anyone who can't bring themselves to consider it. But for me, it's why I'm still here and not gone. Number two, the great controversy is the best thing I've found to explain our reality. Um, the great controversy the doctrine or the concept or the idea of the great controversy is unique to Adventism. That's a huge piece of what makes God make sense, and for that I do credit our denomination. It's crucial, and it connects me to the church despite all the ways I see it going off the rails. And maybe we'll do a full episode just on the great controversy. Um... Number three, I see the cultural value of Adventism. So Christian principles really are the best way to live a good life on earth. As much poor representation of love as I've seen in the church, um, it's like that and worse out in the world. Uh, having communities with commonly held principles and trying from a real place to live morally makes a difference. The culture binds people together across nations, across cultures, across races. For all the turbulence in our society today, real Christianity does bring people together. 
Number four, there are good people. For every rude, judgmental, crusty old, rigid, killjoy, um, there are truly a lot of good, genuine, kind Christians who are living out a life because of their religion that brings more meaning and more fulfillment than what you can find out there in the world. There are real Christ-like people who want to love like Jesus loved. I still think that the vast majority of people will disagree with me on doctrine or worldview or philosophy or whatever it is um, you disagree on, but I know that there are a lot of really good people in the church who simply have not had the journey that I've had, um, so they don't see everything the way that I see it, and I don't see everything the way they see it, but I still value the people I do know who defy the stereotypes I poke fun at in my Adventist sayings explained and all my sketches and stuff. The people who have real love in their hearts. They're out there. Number five, my Adventism gives me meaning. Uh, I say this 100% truly. I probably would have become an atheist, as a lot of people do, if I hadn't seen around 14 or 15 as a teenager that there was a tangible difference in my personal purpose and sense of meaning when I was following God. Um, the kid who questioned at eight why I was here and what possible purpose this life could have caught a glimpse at some point of what real life is through knowing Jesus, and that disallowed me from letting the misconceptions of God that permeate Christianity to turn me away. Um, and having a purpose that crosses from what we see and know on earth into having some consequence outside of everything that we know as reality anchors humanity and gives us some mooring. Um, to know that what we do on this earth plays a part in either condemning or exonerating God's character gives a weight to life that wouldn't otherwise be there. If, if you didn't have some purpose greater than what we see in front of us, life would be frivolous and cheap, as it is to many people. Okay, so I would love to hear why you guys are still in church if you are, um, why you're not if you're not, or what issues you have that are thorns in your side. Um, I want to hear about your anxiety, too, if you have it. Uh, and have a great weekend. Don't forget to connect on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, follow me at SDA Millennial. Um, and also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel inclined, leave a good review. Um, and get in touch. I want, to, I want this to be a two-way thing. So have a good weekend, everybody. Okay, bye.